Hi, everybody. Welcome to Because It Is. A few months ago, I'm sure that you, like me, were um, we were all rocked by the violence towards the Asian American Pacific Islander community in Atlanta and the murders of six women of the AAPI community in Atlanta. Uh, that moment was sort of a crisis moment for us as a country. And for me personally, it, it gave rise to a lot of thoughts about the specific oppression and the specific prejudice that the AAPI community has historically and continues to face today uh, in, our, in our culture. Um, and I began to think about how we as a church and we as people of goodwill, people of faith, could have a redemptive presence in the AAPI community and um, to be people of peace in this regard. Uh, we've been working on this podcast uh, for several weeks, and I'm delighted to welcome Josh Price, my new friend, to this podcast to help us talk about um, the AAPI experience in this country and how we might uh, better uh, engage that community and be people of peace in that regard. Josh uh, most recently served as the Pulaski County Election Commissioner. Uh, he oversaw the elections uh the, the most recent elections. He is the first Asian American to hold this position. And in the entire state of Arkansas, he is only one of five AAPI officials. And so he has a very important role in our community and in the state. He also is the co-founder and first president of the Asian American and Pacific Islander Caucus of Arkansas. He serves on multiple nonprofit boards, including uh, Just Communities of Arkansas, uh, in which I also serve, uh, doing good work, uh, anti-bullying work, and cultural competence work. Uh, and we're so very grateful he's serving on that board. He is a native Arkansan, and that um, gives rise to a very unique story uh, of Josh and what it's been like growing up in Arkansas and being someone who loves this state very, very much, uh, but also someone of AAPI descent. I hope that you'll listen to his wisdom, to the uniqueness of his story, and uh, to the steps uh, and resources that he recommends that might help us uh, blaze a new trail of hope and peace and inclusion uh, in the months and years to come. So listen to my good friend, Josh, and let's be in prayer for the AAPI community as they continue to uh, make their way as Americans and uh, fellow citizens in this country. Welcome to Because It Is, a place for conversations about faith, justice, and other things that matter. Hi, Josh. Welcome to Because It Is, the podcast of Second Baptist Church. We are thrilled that you can join us, that you could join us for this important conversation. Uh, personally, I've kept up with you, just the work that you do in our community as uh, an election officer, uh, and also just the multiple nonprofits that, that you have uh, empowered as a board member. 
Uh, and so thank you for your work that you do in the community. And uh, on behalf of Second Baptist, welcome to the podcast. No, thank you. Uh, really appreciate you having me, and I'm excited to be here. So we're recording this podcast on June the 3rd. Uh, our goal was to pull this off in the month of May because that month focuses on uh, the Asian American and Pacific Islander experience in this country. So we're a little late, but I'll look at this as a, a grand culmination. Um, can you share a little bit uh, as an AAPI uh, person of dis, uh, person of descent in this country, uh, what your experience has been in terms of both the blessings and the burdens of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I think I have a little bit of a unique uh, point of view. Um, you know, I was born and raised here in Arkansas, uh, born in Nashville, Arkansas, then in Howard County, uh, Howard County Memorial Hospital. Um, so my mother is a registered nurse from the Philippines, um, but she is a half Chinese descent. Her father was from Hong Kong, uh, but raised in, born and raised in the Philippines. And um, she was recruited to come to the United States um, in the 70s because there were a lack of nurses um, in rural parts of America. So, you know, we joke, we say you went from Manila to a Murfreesboro <laughs> because that's where yeah. she was stationed. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she met my father there. Um, he, he's native of uh, Pike County, Arkansas, D-Light, right. down yeah. there, D-Light. So the I was- This is on the D, The right? D-Light, yeah. So yeah. I was born, you know, I was born and raised down there in, in Southwest part of the state and I can turn on my accent like this if I need to, <laughs> uh, or it comes out sometimes depending on who I'm talking to. But um, yeah, it's, I, I like that you said bless, blessings and a curse, right? Um, uh, so my mom was really the only Asian American there in town. And then after my myself and my sister were born, there was three of us. Um, I will say, and I, I don't think this is uh, probably the norm, so I, I feel very blessed about this, but um, having conversations with my mom, she was very, she says she was very well accepted by my dad's side of the family. And, you know, he fully knew that his children would look probably like my mom and not like him. You know, we both, both my sister and I, we have, you know, the complexion and the hair and the eyes and everything like that, that are, you know, kind of associated with folks of Asian descent. Mm -hmm. And, um, Luckily, my grandfather uh, was a, uh, he, he had served in World War II in Papua New Guinea. So he had, you know, been to Asia before and worked with folks over there. And my uh, my grandmother, my dad's mother, was a justice of the peace in Pike County. So, you know, she was an elected official down there and um, had a history of, of kind of working with the civil rights movement. She used to uh, officiate weddings for African-Americans in her home during segregation. Uh, when they weren't allowed to use public spaces. So, uh, you know, they were very accepting of my mom and myself and my sister. So that that's a that was definitely a blessing. Um, I, I would say growing up, uh, it was more, I was more of an oddity than anything else. I remember uh, starting kindergarten down there and, um, you know, not, not looking like anybody else in the class and um, uh, nothing, I'm, I'm bilingual. So you know, I speak Filipino fluently. So I remember the teacher, you know, saying, oh, you know, say one through 10 in Filipino or say the alphabet or uh, so come up to the front of the class and, and perform. So again, kind of like an oddity, but I didn't feel like it was a bad thing per se. I, 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 I you know, I'm a kid. I like the attention. And um, but as I got older, I started to notice um, kind of some microaggressions. And to be honest with you, it got worse when I got outside of Kind of that rural area you know when you when you live in a, such a small town um i mean delight is like 400 people so you know you pretty much know everybody and my my father owned the local uh owned a local grocery store and gas station 
which is actually an Antoine, which is D-Light adjacent. Um, but everyone knew him and everyone knew my mom and everyone knew myself and my sister. So it was kind of like, eh, it's different, but they were okay with it. But when we moved to um, Arkadelphia and then we moved to Hot Springs, then finally to um, Central Arkansas, um, it, it, it was interesting that the microaggressions and the kind of racist comments increased, which you would think that you, you, you're in a more urban setting, you wouldn't experience that as much. But I really think it was because um, maybe the folks in the bigger, bigger areas, you know, you can kind of pick and choose who you want to hang out with. But when you live in a town of 400 people, you're kind of stuck with what you got. So, um, you know, going to a, a larger city where people didn't know me, um, didn't know any Asian Americans, they had to rely on stereotypes. Um, I remember, you know, the backhanded compliments, like you've got really good English, you know, how old were you when you moved over here? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, where are you from? Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm from D-Light. Well, no, where are you really from? I was, okay, I was born in in um, in Nashville. Um, they're like, no, where are you really, really from? And I'm thinking, why would I claim like living in D-Light and being born in Nashville? I mean, no offense to those places, yeah. but it's not a claim to fame so much. Yeah. You wouldn't so, make that up. No, why would I make that up? So, right. but, you know, just the idea that um, as an Asian American, you are um, kind of a perpetual foreigner. You're seen as like, you're not from here. You know, it doesn't matter if you were born here, you're just seen like you don't belong. And um, the second part that kind of comes with it is you're, you're oftentimes associated with your family's country of origin. So, you know, my mom is from the Philippines, but she's half Chinese. So, you know, I've been asked in the past, so, you know, uh, we're having conflict with China. So are you loyal to the United States or China? Like I've never even been to China. Like I don't speak a word of Chinese. I like Chinese food. Does, does that count? <laughs> but you know, that, that idea that you're a perpetual foreigner and then you're also somehow tied to that other country and you kind of maybe get some of the blame for tensions with that other country. And that kind of ties into what we're going through now with uh, COVID-19, you know, being referred to as China virus and Wuhan flu and Kung flu, you know, uh, I'm somehow being blamed for a virus that, that, you know, uh, spread from China just because I have Chinese features and I have a partial Chinese descent, even though I don't know really anything about China. So um, it's, it's just interesting. Um, the microaggressions kind of continued um, going into junior high and high school. You know, I, I remember uh, uh, one time in fifth grade, a, a group of kids, I don't know what happened, but they they circled me in a, in a at recess uh, outside playing and they were chanting, go back where you came from. We don't want you here. Um, so just things like that, you know, looking back in hindsight, especially with what's been happening um, in our society now, it's kind of caused me to look back at some things that maybe I pushed under the rug or, or didn't didn't think much of at the time. Um, looking back, that wasn't okay. You know, that, that's not okay to, 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 to say those types of things to a child. Um, it's not okay to, you know, assume that, that I'm a perpetual foreigner or I'm not from here or that, you know, um, I don't speak the language. So, um, it's, it's been an interesting time. I'd say um, the further other part of your question, the blessing, um, I was on a, a Zoom call a couple weeks ago, um, just about kind of the state of Asian Americans in the nation with everything that's going on. And um, there was a survey that they were sharing some information from. And they said for the last 50 years, when they ask folks in the survey, you know, name three traits about Asian Americans, they always say smart, hardworking, intelligent. So, um, those are stereotypes, but you know, those, those aren't necessarily bad things. So that that's one of the blessings. I think that Asian Americans are seen as hard workers, you know, seen as, as, as making good grades and, you know, pretty much staying out of trouble and things like that. So that's one thing that um, compared to, I'd say some other, other of our uh, racial groups, people of color, uh, I do feel 
lucky and blessed that Asian Americans uh, kind of have some, I guess, if you want to say quote unquote, good stereotypes that are associated mm-hmm. with us. So that 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 helps. But again, on the uh, the flip side, it's the always being seen as a perpetual floor, foreigner and perhaps having allegiances to another country over the United States. Yeah, that phrase "perpetual foreigner" that really grips me, and it it makes me think about how difficult community, true community, really is, even for people who ac- accept you, but accept you as this sort of alien foreign presence, right? I would right. imagine community is very tricky. It, it can be. And, you know, it, it it made me feel a little odd as far as my identity growing up. You know, I'm thinking I'm Arkansan. I'm from the South. I'm from <laughs> the Southwest part of the state. I talk like this and, you know, people talk to me on the phone and they expect one thing and then they see me in person. And <laughs> they are you the, are you sure you're the one I was talking to on the phone? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I was the one you're talking to on the phone, but, um, just that idea that I, for some reason, just because of, a, a, you know, a little bit different skin tone, the shape of my eyes, having straight black hair, I'm seen as as another. And um, and growing up, it was hard. You know, we didn't have um, on those boxes when you take tests or fill out those forms. We didn't have Asian American on there. It was black, white, or other. So you know, I was always filling out the other box, and then I would write at, I would kind of write it in on the side, and you know that that pretty much my whole life growing up, that's what it was. And, you know, it just makes you feel as a child, you you know, it's really hard as being a teenager and feeling like, where's my place? Do I belong? But always having to fill in the other box that, that, that doesn't help that those feelings, you know, of, of, of belonging. Right. And I'm, I'm hearing you, uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm also hearing this mystery that I can never really make peace with, which is that racism is very, very, very real, but race as a biological phenomenon is a fiction, right? Like it's, right. Uh, it, it, it doesn't play out genetically. And so how something so very real can be based on something that's so very false uh, mm-hmm. never ceases to, to amaze me. And I hear that ingrained in your story. Right. I mean, race is a social construct. I mean, if you, you look, there's one race, it's the human race. And, you know, I've, I've, I mean, I don't know how deep we want to go, but I've had I've had some people that are pretty mean spirited. I've, I've been called um, an abomination mm. because I'm the result of, you know, a, a mixed couple. Um, mm. There were times before I was born that my mom and dad would go on dates and nobody this is in the 70s and they wouldn't get served. Like mm. we're sitting at a restaurant for 30 minutes and the waiter waitress refuses the service. So we just leave and go somewhere else. Um, you know, Vietnam, it, it just happened. It wasn't popular and people would assume my mom was Vietnamese. Um, people make a lot of assumptions, you know, that my father was a soldier and, you know, maybe went over there and picked up an Asian bride and brought her back um, when really she was, you know, a registered nurse that was recruited to come to the States. Like she, you know, people thinking, oh, you just were trying to get a green card. Well, she already had a green card. She she came over here for work. So just a lot of assumptions. Um, right. I, I remember one time in high school um, that, I, you know, I had some students come up to me and ask me if my mother was a prostitute. Hmm. They said, was your mother a prostitute from the Philippines? And I said, no, she was a registered nurse, you know, that came over here because of black nurses. And what really upset me at the time, not so much that they said it, but where did they hear that from? Because they had some very kind of detailed um, parts of that, of what they said to me that when I brought brought that back to my mom, she was like, you know, those are old stories from World War II. So, you know, those kids probably heard it from their parents or their grandparents. You know, I was in ninth grade. So... My issue with that is that, you know, if you if you have um, 
any type of a, of a prejudice or a stereotype like that, uh, any kind of hatred towards a specific group, you know, don't pass that on to the next generation. I mean, the, yeah. wh- why would you do that? Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of things like that that have happened that, that, that weren't great. Um, and in hindsight, were pretty upsetting. But, you know, I've just kind of learned to, uh, to roll with it. Yeah. So, so like you, I'm a child of the South, though, unlike you, I can't turn my accent off. So uh, <laughs> this is what you hear is what you get from me. That's it. Um, as, so I grew up in the Arkansas Delta. and I love the Delta. I've been all up and down through the Delta. Yeah, let me yeah tell I bet you. you have. Um, you know, growing up, everything was black and white. And, mm-hmm. and when I thought about racism, and, and honestly, if, if I make a confession today, when I think about racism to this day, black and white is what is foremost in my mind. Right. But with that framework, what's often lost is um, the racism towards the AAPI community. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that is so often overlooked and how might we remedy that? It's a good question. I think a couple of reasons. I mean, you know, um, African Americans have been in this country, well, Asians came here a long time ago, but the as far as having a large population of African Americans, they've been here longer. So, you know, you've, of course, you've got the history of slavery, you've got the history of civil rights. I mean, we just had the 100 year anniversary of the the, the Tulsa massacre. Um, you know, Asian Americans still only, you know, make up a, a fairly small percentage of the, of the US population. Um, I believe it's, well, when the when the census comes out, we'll see, but I think it's somewhere like five to 6%, something like that. So uh, not a huge, huge amount. So I think that, you know, when you're when you're a smaller group that's kind of marginalized, it's easy to kind of just ignore what that group may be going through. I mean, there's enough um, black Americans that are able to kind of say, hey, like this is how we're being treated and we can gather in groups and gather in numbers where you don't see that as much in the Asian community. Mm-hmm. Um, let me use my mom as an example. I mean, she left the Philippines because their president, President Marcos, um, stayed in power past time when he was due. He had his opponent um, assassinated and he stayed president for 21 years. And, you know, the people at one point got tired of it and started rioting and rebelling. So he declared martial law. And um, my mom said that the last couple of years she was in the Philippines, um, didn't see a newspaper for three years. Uh, two TVs, stations that were government controlled, uh, nine o'clock curfew, uh, soldiers and tanks going up and down the street. And if you were out past curfew, you could be shot on sight just because they figured you were up to no good. And that's why she left because she had the opportunity because she had that skill set as being a registered nurse. And um, she thought to herself, I, you know, I don't want to raise my future family in this type of, of an environment. So a lot of times when Asian Americans come over here to the United States, they have a similar story. They were escaping where there was Vietnam, communist China, what was happening in the Philippines. They're, they're escaping a, uh, a very unstable or repressive government. So when they come to the United States, they're just happy to be somewhere where they're, they're free and they can focus on their family and they can work hard and, and just kind of keep their head down. So you don't see as many people in the Asian population, I would say, um, speaking out and kind of making a stink uh, because they're thinking, however, however bad we may be treated here, this is nothing compared to what was happening in the country I left. So I'm just gonna take it in stride, ignore it, focus on my family um, and, and, and stay out of trouble basically. 
quote unquote trouble. There's good trouble too, but you know, right. don't, don't make a big stink about it. So, um, you know, that's one thing I am appreciative of the, the black community and I've learned a lot from them um, is that their, their vocalness when, when they feel like their rights are being infringed upon, um, their, their ability to, 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 to gather and to speak up. And I would like to see that more in the Asian community. And I think we're seeing that now uh, with everything that's happened over the last year with the pandemic and all the Asian hate um, that's been increasing and what happened in Atlanta. I, I think that our Asian Americans here are finally starting to kind of open their eyes um, and realize they need to be represented and need to get active and, and speak out when they see something that happens to their community. These are the kinds of things that matter to us at Second Baptist Downtown, a different kind of Baptist church located in Little Rock, Arkansas. If you are enjoying this conversation and would like to know more, please visit us at 2bclr.com. That's the number 2, bclr.com. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can find us by searching Because It Is wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook by searching 2BC a different kind of Baptist church. Now, back to the show. Um, oftentimes, you know, in Arkansas, we think that the world affairs or national affairs happen elsewhere. But even within our own state, uh, the AAPI community has a very real and uh, acute history here. Right. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that shaped even the context of Little Rock and, and Arkansas? Absolutely. I mean, you're from the Delta, so I'm sure you know all about the Japanese um, internment camps that they've got down there in Rower. Right. Um, you know, um, I've read up a lot of a lot on those those camps, and I mean, you know, uh, between 1942 and 1945, during World War II, you know, a lot of Japanese Americans were were round up from all across the country, and they were placed in these internment camps because the government thought that, again, perpetual for foreigner syndrome, they must have an allegiance to Japan. And, you know, we're at war with Japan during World War II, so we don't know about these Japanese Americans. They may be in league with the enemy. So they were rounded up, and they were put in these internment camps. I mean, you had anywhere from eight to 9,000 Japanese Americans um, that were there in in Arkansas in that in that internment camp, um, including George Takei, you know, who was Sulu on on Star Trek. Um, um, another another piece of history people don't know is that you had a lot of folks that were not Japanese American; they were maybe Korean or Chinese, and you know, it was like, well, you're close enough, you know, you you look like that, so let's round you up and put you in the internment camp too. And some of these folks were, you know. China was being attacked by Japan during World War II. The Philippines was being attacked by Japan during World War II. So now you're taking folks that have nothing to do with Japan and you're just kind of throwing them in that in that group. That's another thing. You know, people see Asians as a monolith. You know, you're all just Asian, but Asia is the largest continent. And, you know, Japan is an island and uh, China is very large. I mean, the Philippines is, is a collection of islands. It's an archipelago. Taiwan is an island. So you're, you're taking... I mean, that, that's like going to Europe and saying, oh, Fran France and Germany and Italy and Spain, you're all the same because you're all just right, right there by each other. I mean, no, they're not. I mean, they're all different. They have their unique culture and food and languages and the same as in Asia. You know, Chinese Chinese culture is different from Filipino culture, is different from Japanese, uh, Vietnamese, Thai, et cetera. So, you know, we're not a monolith. We're, we're, we're all different groups and there's diversity within the Asian uh, community as well. Um, there's been a lot of um, history of racism against Asian Americans that people don't know about. Um, when they were building the Transcontinental Railroad and they brought over um, Chinese workers from overseas, um, they weren't allowed to bring their wives with them. 
but then they also weren't allowed to marry American women. So you're, you know, you're bringing them over here for work as laborers, but then you're telling them they're not allowed to get married. They're not allowed to bring their wife. They basically wanted to use them as labor and then send them back. Um, but a lot of them ended up having children anyway, you know, outside of, outside of marriage. Um, I learned recently just kind of learning about, um, the history of, of Asian Americans in, in, uh, in our country, that a lot of those Asian men actually ended up um, marrying black women. Because hmm. at the time, the, they, they didn't, I guess, the legally, they, they were more focused on them not marrying white women. So they would marry black women and, um, you know, uh, have children with them. And then and that that was that's a whole community that, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention of, of, of that, that that happened in our history. So um, there's, there's a longstanding history in, in our country that I think people overlook and don't realize. Um, with what happened in Atlanta, I'm still even learning about this. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't realize it, but what Asian American women go through is a vastly different experience than what I go through as an Asian American man. You know, Asian American women are are historically they're very um, fetishized. You know, they're they're sexualized. Um, you know, like I remember my mom telling me when she came to this country that um, she had long black hair. You know, down to the mid back. She's, you know, I'm at the grocery store, and all of a sudden there's just a strange stranger, a man, sometimes even a woman, just running their hands through my hair. And she turned around, they'd say, oh, you have such beautiful, you know, silky black hair. I just had, I couldn't help myself. I had to touch it. Or, you know, just start rubbing on her arm and say, oh, you have such smooth skin. I couldn't help myself. I had to touch it. You know, like you're just some kind of toy or, or plaything. And, um, you know, I've spoken to my sister about it too. And I said, you know, did these types of things happening happen to you as a teenager and as a young woman? She said, absolutely. She said all the time, still do. You know, it's always you're just seen as and if you look at our culture, I mean, I don't want to get it too, too much into it. But if you look at the type of songs and movies and things, how they how how those songs and movies in American culture kind of address Asian American women, you're either there's two types, you're either what we call the dragon lady where you're, you know, some martial artists and, mm -hmm. and everything or you're some type of a you know, uh, a sex worker or something of that regard. So, um, you know, that's very damaging. It's very damaging to, to put that kind of a stereotype out there because a lot of folks, if they've never encountered an Asian American, the first time they do, their mind is going to snap to that stereotype that they learned about in our media. That's right. You know, there's so many conversations today about how we educate our children in terms of race and our nation's history. And um, this to me informs how I feel about it. Uh, one of the great tragedies of our history happened in uh, McGee, Arkansas, you know, right? Uh, the, the camp you're talking about. And I grew up just a few miles from there mm -hmm. and was an adult before I ever realized we did that. And so we have to do a better job of educating our children and telling the truth about our history uh, because it is very much with us and it, it continues to shape who we are and um, the better that we know our history, the more equipped we are to redeem this present moment as well. Would you agree with that? I agree 100 percent. You know, I always say you, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you came from. Right. And, you know, another thing you said about history, it's so important because it's, it's, it's what happened. And we need to know the truth so we can learn from the mistakes of the past. But also this is our shared history. Right. This is our shared history. You had what, eight, nine thousand Japanese Americans living down there in McGee you know, and after they were released, I mean, some of them went back to California, wherever they came from, but a lot of them stayed here in the South. I mean, you know this, if you go down to the Delta, there's a, there's a, got, got to be an Asian family in every town that either owns a restaurant or a, or a, a, a little store or a dry cleaner or a nail shop or something. I mean, it's, it's almost like, um, I've, I read an article about Chinese in the Delta, how they kind of 
each family took a different town and said, okay, I'm going to start a business here. You go to that town, you start a business there, you know, very entrepreneurial uh, type of folks. But um, it's important to know that history because it's our shared history. Um, You know, am I any less American or Arkansan than someone else? I mean, I was born here. I was raised in Arkansas. I mean, my favorite dish is chicken fried steak. I mean, come on. (laughs) Uh, You know, I had had a mentor tell me, she said, Josh, you're just as American as apple pie. You're just a slightly different recipe. I thought that was pretty funny, but we need, we need to understand each other better. And I think there's a lack, there's a lack of knowledge of our history, our shared history. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of conversation and communication between our groups. Um, And I'm really hoping that silver lining, you know, with all this uptick in Asian hate and the, the horrible tragedy in, in Atlanta, I hate that it takes something like, you know, the murder of, of six women, six Asian American women to open people's eyes that this is happening. But I hope mm. silver lining that that it'll cause these conversations to continue to happen. And there'll be a mutual understanding and folks who just get together and realize that we have so much more in common than we have that makes us different. Mm. So let's talk about that. Um, We've talked a little bit about history, but when you scan the horizons at present, and you've already talked about this to some degree, but what do you see in the AAPI community uh, today? What Where do you see hope maybe today, and where do you see uh, grave concern today? I do see some hope. I, I, see, um, I, I see hope on both sides. I see I see more folks, um, white and black and Hispanic folks, reaching out to the Asian community, checking in. I will say that after the attacks in, in Atlanta, um, Mayor Scott in Little Rock reached out to me. Um, mm-hmm. Chief Humphrey reached out to me and said, what can we do for the Asian community right now? Wow. Yeah, I, I know y'all are scared, you're nervous, like what can we do? And um, Chief Humphrey even sent um, uh, patrol units to to Asian businesses across the city just to check in with them and let them know that they were there to help if anything mm-hmm. happened. So the the I would say just locally and in our state, the outpouring of support from the police department, from elected officials has been very, very, very encouraging. Yeah. That sounds um, like good leadership to me. Absolutely. And even yeah. what you're doing, I mean, the fact that you would reach out to me to do this podcast, I mean, this shows that you're you're initiating those conversations. And I think that's so important. Um, I think on the, the side of the Asian Americans, you know, a group that kind of traditionally, again, keeps their head down and minds their own business and just works hard and focuses on their family. Um, you've got second generation Asian Americans like me and third generation. And I think they're seeing that they do need to be more active in the community. They need to be more they need to be more active, um, you know, um, civically and make sure that they're properly represented. Um, you know, I would say that with with the uh, kind of circles I, I move in, I'm normally the only Asian American there. There's maybe one other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, you know, it, it's easy to 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 take the needs of a, of a group and kind of put it on the back burner if you're not seeing someone from that group at your city council meetings, at your quorum court meetings, at your election commission meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we, we have, uh, me included, there's only five, um, government officials of Asian American descent in the whole state, mm-hmm. and one is the mayor. Wow. Of, one's the mayor of McGee, Mayor Jeff Al Young. <laughs> wow, how about that story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you've got a uh, uh, Joe Dan Yee down there in Chico County. Um, but uh, yeah, there just needs to be more representation. And you know, as you said earlier, I try to stay active in the community, not just because I love doing it, because I do, but also I think it's important to to be visible. You know, visibility mm-hmm. is important. You know, it's it's a lot harder to hate somebody or have a stereotype or prejudice against somebody when you're seeing them and you're talking to them and you're realizing that they're just like you. So I try to stay active kind of twofold. Um, you know, I want to be part of the community and, and, and try to do some good, but I also want people to realize that, you know, Asians we're here too, and we're part of the community as well. Yeah. Beautifully stated. 
Um, so you've talked about the uptick of violence uh, of late. What do you see as behind that? What has given rise to that uptick in violence? Right. I think it's always, I think, I think a lot of those prejudices have always been there in the stereotypes, just because I know personally I've experienced them growing up, but you know, COVID-19, um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, it, it, it originated in Wuhan, China, but when you have, when you have top elected officials that are calling it the China virus and saying, this is China's fault. And this is, you know, the Wuhan flu or the Kung flu, things like that. Mm-hmm. You're pointing a finger at a specific group. And, you know, like I said, Asian Americans are already seen as the perpetual foreigner and somehow have ties to, you know, their country of their, that their, that their ancestors came from. Um, which is, you know, you, you've got people all over Arkansas of German descent. Are you blaming them for, for the Holocaust <laughs> right. or, you know what I mean? Or right. you, you assuming they're Nazis? I mean, of course not. So, um, you know, people are already, people already are under a lot of stress during the pandemic. A lot of folks have, have lost work. Um, you know, their, their kids are going to school uh, remotely and that makes it difficult. So people are under a lot of pressure, and a lot of stress. And when you have, again, your leaders pointing a finger at a specific group, it's like, that's the scapegoat. You could say, hey, all these issues in my life that are being caused by COVID, it's this group's fault. And I think that's such a dangerous narrative, that finger pointing. And if you think about, I mentioned the Holocaust, that's what happened then as well. You know, all of Germany's problems, it's the Jews' fault, right? It's their fault. So it's easy to blame the other. And then when that other is a hidden community, so to speak, that lays low and minds their own business and isn't, you don't see a lot of Asian Americans represented in government or the media uh, or, or, you know, present again at these, these, these political meetings where some of these decisions are taking place, it's easy to blame that kind of silent hidden group um, and, and place all the blame on their shoulders. So I think that's really what's behind that uptick, you know, um, it, it, it creates an outlet for people's uh, frustrations and their stress and their anger. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just very, very dangerous. I think words have power and words have yes. meaning. And, you know, you wouldn't just like, you know, some parents, they don't want their kids listening to certain types of songs or watching certain types of movies because, you know, they could be influenced by that. You know, in that same way, uh, you know, our, our elected leaders, they have a responsibility to the people that they serve um, to try to be above board and not place blame on other folks and, you know, try to uh, lead with, with, with fairness and kindness and compassion. So okay. I think that that's really what's behind that uptick, and it's really unfortunate. Um, but um, again, I think it's it's also an opportunity. I'm going to quote a, a, a Chinese proverb: <laughs> "In chaos, there's also opportunity." Um, yes. So this is also a time for um, I think for Asian Americans to 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 speak up and say, "Hey, we're here." Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate about the pandemic, but you know, we live in a global world. You know, we live in a world now where everybody's traveling all over the place, and you know, there have been plagues and and viruses all through history, you know, you had you had the Black Plague, you know, in Europe, um, the, you, you had Ebola from Africa. I mean, there's a, a virus can originate from anywhere, and but we live in a such a globally connected world now, where it, it'll spread across the whole world. You know, obviously as it did with the with the coronavirus, in just a matter of months. So I, I think it's not about assigning blame, but all banding together and working through it together, because that's how we're going to get through it is by working together. Absolutely. I resonate so very strongly with what you just said about the power of language. And uh, excuse me if this sounds overly preachery uh, to our listeners or even to you, but, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't murder, but anyone who calls their brother, uh, I can't really say it in Hebrew, raka, right? You fool uh, is what how it translates in Aramaic. 
I think what he's saying is the moment you begin to dehumanize people with your words, you are a short step away from dehumanizing them with your actions. And if you mind the fuse of hate speech, then you don't have to worry about the, the bomb of hateful actions. And so when I heard the former president, you know, say things like China virus and Kung flu, it, it seemed like intentional uh, stereotype, intentional hate speech. And I remember thinking uh, we are a short step away from violent actions when when you begin to talk that way and speak that way about people. I, I wish that we could learn our lesson about where hate is born. Hate is born in our words. Mm-hmm. And then and then it it finds oxygen in our language to live out in so many very real and destructive ways. And we have a, a long thread of history that backs that up. So thanks for those comments about our, our words. And I hope we'll be will be people that mind our language uh, because hate hate begins there. I agree 100%. And, you know, it's like throwing a spark on a powder keg. You know, you've got folks that if they already have those um, stereotypes and those prejudices, that extra push is all they need for it to go from, you know, the hate that's in their heart to, like you said, a hate crime and in a violent action. So it's just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that moving forward, our leaders will, will be a little bit more careful. And what, my mom always told me, guard the door of your mouth, you know, mm. because words have meaning. I love that. I'm going to use that someday. <laughs> I'll, I'll give your mom due credit. Um, I guess my last real question for you today is for our listeners who want to stand in solidarity with the AAPI community and AAPI people, uh, what can we do? Uh, what would you suggest for our listeners uh, who, who love you, who love the community, who want this to be a place of peace and inclusion of all people? Um, what are some action steps that we might take if this podcast has moved us? No, that's a great question. And I, I, th- I think, well, this podcast itself, this is already a way, you know, just having those conversations, um, you know, having Mayor Scott and, and Chief Humphrey reach out and what they did to check in on the Asian community. I think that's a great first step. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you have to do something, you know, huge and grand. I mean, I think everybody everybody probably knows somebody who's Asian American or Pacific Islander descent, whether it's a restaurant you frequent or, or a shop or, or your, your dry cleaner or et cetera, you know, just, just thank them. Say, Hey, we hear you. We're here for you. Um, let us know if you need anything. We appreciate you being here. You know, another thing, my mom, you say kindness is free. It is kindness is free. And you don't know how, how that kindness, that little bit of kindness you show someone, someone could make such a, an impact in their life. So, um, I would say, first off, appreciate those Asian Americans in your life that you may run into on a daily or weekly basis. If you don't know any Asian Americans, make a friend. You know, if, if, if you've got a, co- a colleague or coworker that you don't really know that's of AAPI descent, go out to lunch together. Learn a little bit more about them. Um, someone asked me one time, they were like, you know, uh, the whole perpetual foreigner, are you a real American? Let's not assume I'm not American. Let's not assume right. I'm not Arkansan. How about you assume I'm an Arkansan? You assume I'm an American. Get to know me. And then you'll learn a little bit more about my story and you'll learn about where I, where my, where my ancestors came from. Mm. Um, you know, you, you don't, you, you, you have to walk, you can't know somebody unless you walk a mile in their shoes. So get to know folks instead of uh, remaining distant. And, and that's something I'm working on within the Asian community as well is, you know, now, of course, you know, some, some communities want to 
you know, close up a little bit more, rightfully so, because they're nervous. But, you know, I'm, I'm working on after COVID opens up, I'd love to see, um, you know, Asian Fest come back. I'd, you know, just like Greek Fest, it's opportunity to, to, to eat the food, listen to the music, see the traditional dances and costumes, and, and meet Asian American people. I mean, you know, everybody loves food and everyone loves, loves music. And, um, you know, everyone loves, a lot of folks like, Asian food and you know Chinese tattoos that probably don't even mean what they think they mean <laughs> and uh, martial arts movies and you know you like all these things about Asian culture we'll get to know the Asian people right. you know connect with the Asian people I mean you admire these things about the culture we'll get to know get to know us as a people as well uh, so that's one thing and I think that's something that that's that's pretty easy to do um, another thing is um, like you said about the words having meaning if you hear something whether it's a friend, a family member, a coworker, if you hear something, somebody say something, you know, against Asian Americans or, or say something in a disrespectful or racist way, call them out. Right. You know, you've got to nip that in the bud early. And it could, you know, it could be something as easily as like, hey, you know, that's not cool. I don't think, you, you know, we shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's a good way, um, uh, especially in regards to Asian American women that I know a lot of times they, they, they get stereotyped. So just call people out when you see it and, and let them know that that's just not acceptable behavior. And, and I always say, you don't have to do it in a judgmental way. You can, you can use that as an opportunity, uh, a, a learning, a learning opportunity, you know, a way to teach them about, about what would be the appropriate thing to say. Um, I also have some resources too, that I can, I can, um, share with y'all but um there's there's several websites that have been doing some great work uh one is stop aapihate.org um so they're they're tracking all the different hate crimes and incidents so if you do see something um you, you see an asian american being attacked and um, this is a place where well first off you need to call the local authorities you need to call the police but um you know arkansas does not have a, a hate crimes bill um right so you know hate crimes are not automatically reported to the fbi you have to call the fbi separately so you can call the fbi and you can also go to this website stop aapihate.org and you can file an incident report or encourage the the victim to do so mm -hmm. um there's also another group called Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Um, you just Google the, them, um, and they they keep um, uh, track of all the data of uh, uh, different incidents that are happening in the Asian American community. Um, you know, in, in some of the larger cities, we're seeing um, the elderly Asian Americans who are seniors really being attacked. You see, you know, elderly folks being punched or pushed down, and nobody even helping or assisting or anything like that. And you know, I don't, I don't. The way I was raised, I'll say, I don't care what what your race or ethnicity is. You don't attack a grandma. You know what right. I mean? Like a thirty year old coming up and punching an eighty five year old woman. That's just that's just not acceptable, no matter who you are. Um, and then there's another one. It's called I Holla Back. Uh, I H O L L A B A C K dot org. Um, and they have some bystander training on there and it's free. And um, kind of like, if you see this happen, this is, this is what you do. This is how you assist the victim. This is how you, you make a call to police. And this is how you, you file that report. So again, I think it's just to take all of us working together and looking out for each other. I mean, this too shall pass, we'll get through it. But again, we're not going to get, you know, we're not going to get through it separate and by fighting amongst each other, we're going to get through it by working together. Hmm. We will definitely include those resources in our show notes. Thanks for providing those for our listeners. And um, yeah, again, thanks for this time uh, and this very important conversation. I hope that our listeners will take this to heart. One thing I've learned is that I really want to meet your mom. Uh, I'm a sucker for good <laughs> quotes. And I have a list of great quotes from your mom today. Kindness is free. 
pay attention to the door of your mouth. Is that is that how she phrased that? Guard, guard the guard, door of your mouth. Guard the door of your mouth. That's, I like that even better, huh? Ah, love it. Wonderful. Well, Josh, also not just thanks for this time, but again, thank you for your your wisdom, uh, your servant heart, uh, servant posture in our community, and all the ways that that you seek to cultivate love. Uh, know that you have a friend in me, and know that you have. Uh, friends at Second Baptist Church in downtown Little Rock, and let's keep at it and uh, make the world a beautiful place for all of us. That's right. I appreciate that. And um, again, thank you for having me on your show. Um, feel free to call on me anytime. I'm always here. I'm always around. And um, uh, again, again, I just, I love Arkansas and I want to see everyone that, that lives in our beautiful state get along with each other and, and learn from each other. You know, I think, um, God put us all this earth and this is our, our great mystery, right? The great mystery mm -hmm. of life. But, you know, we're all puzzle pieces. And again, I think it's going to take all of us coming together to solve that puzzle. It's, you know, no, no one is an Island. We can't do this by ourselves. You were all put on this earth for a purpose. And, um, I, you know, God created us to work together and, and to love one another, not, not to be divided by hate. So I'm excited to see people working together moving forward. And I think this conversation we're having now, this, this, this is an important part of it. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Amen to all that. I think you just preached. I think you have a future and you have a pulpit waiting on you somewhere. So. Well, I do have a history in the church, so maybe right. it came out a little bit. <laughs> well, well, may may all of this be so. May kindness be so. May understanding and inclusion be so. And may love be so uh, in your life and in my life. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope uh, to, that you'll hear from us again soon. As you go, go and love God with all that you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is.